0: Today changes my whole entire life.
1: Welcome to Gridability, a podcast about the power of perseverance, overcoming seemingly insurmountable odds to attain the life of your dreams. I'm your podcast host, Adam Clausen. With me here in the studio is the beautiful and ever-radiant row Clausen.
0: Thank you. Hello, everybody. I'm kind of excited for today's episode. I think everyone needs to kind of buckle up because it's going, to be, it's going to be a good one.
1: I'm excited and also eager to just kind of get this out. Yeah. Because although you're glowing right now, you're like radiating, like so...
0: Maybe I'm just hot. Maybe I'm just... And I don't mean temperature hot. I mean like heated.
1: Uh, (laughs) They might get Jersey Italian row today. Might be, might be. Um, Yeah, whatever it is, because, you know, we already had the topic picked out for today. Today we're going to be talking about integrity, right? And integrity is a central part of who we are. Like it's the reason our relationship uh, has thrived over... You know, through all these crazy challenges, everything that we've been through, you know, we've always been transparent with one another. Yeah. Um, Any of the commitments that we made to each other, we've kept. Yeah. You know, and like gone to great lengths to keep those as well. So we are definitely, I know we're on the same page with this, (laughs) but it's unfortunate. So few people are right? When someone gives their word, in my mind, that means something, right? To me, that's what integrity is all about. Integrity is about, you know, when you make a commitment, following through. When you say you're going to do something, you do it. Simple as that, right? And where I spent, unfortunately, the majority of my life thus far, like that meant something, your integrity meant everything. When you gave someone your word, when you made a commitment, listen, you followed through or else there were consequences. And it was severe and it was swift. And that's the reality, right? I lived that reality for 20 plus years. So although I often say, you know, it, it didn't leave there's not open scars. I don't have open wounds. I don't feel like that I walk around with, but there are certain things that are deeply ingrained. They're part of who I am uh, that I'm proud of.
0: You should be. And I remember in one of our earliest conversations, you saying, all I have in here is my word. And I think that that's a way that a lot of people or I don't know you can tell me not everybody but a lot of people have to live you're stripped of everything and literally all you have is your word and your integrity and I understand why you take things so to heart and seriously is because your integrity is impeccable and I think you expect that of others where mm. I think so many people are just so quick to either commit to something that they don't want to in the moment and be like oh I don't really have to do that or tell white in their in their opinion a white lie where honesty
1: you saying you know commenting on my integrity is probably the greatest compliment you could give me
0: really i think it's one of your most attractive quality i think it's your number one most attractive quality and number two i think that's what well, it's what made us be able to communicate on such a deep level and build such a trust between us. And if I had to, if somebody said to me, give me one word to describe Adam, give me his number one best quality, it would be integrity. And I can't speak today, integrity.
1: Mm, And that means a lot hearing that. And interesting, I've had a number of conversations recently kind of where it's resonated where I'm just so open, so transparent, I put everything out there and and I let people know that they can count on me. And I've been rewarded numerous times for that by people sharing that transparency, maybe where they normally wouldn't have. And and fortunately, you get to hear many of these conversations. Uh, But there's a flip side to that, right? There's a lot of disappointment. And there's been much more disappointment since I've been out because it seems like so few people are willing to keep their word.
0: Yeah, and you just had somebody say this to you recently. He said, he's like, you and I are different. People that don't come from our backgrounds, they don't realize how important that is. If we don't stand by our word, you just said it, it could literally get us killed. Where he, and he said, so people out here, they just don't, they don't care. Doesn't mean the same thing to them. Not everybody but many, if not most.
1: I, I would agree with that. So talking about integrity, I, I thought it was important to go back and qualify this, right? Um, because if if integrity is such a core value to me, to, to our relationship, uh, what does that look like? Now, clearly I've spoken at length about the things that I did that led me to prison. I am not proud of those, by no means. You will never, ever hear me you know glamorize any of that lifestyle um because it was hollow it was empty i am filled with regret over the people that i harmed right but the one thing that i do not regret regret is how i handled things you know once it came time to pay up like when i was arrested <laughs> i knew right away somebody was talking right like the local police, SWAT team, all of these people who were involved, made it very clear that they had some information. If everyone would have kept their mouth shut, there, there really wasn't any case against us. And that's not what I'm advocating here. What I'm saying is I made a decision right then and there that it wasn't going to be me. I didn't care that someone else was, was talking was trying to put it on me like I wasn't going to turn around and try and put it on somebody else I was like I'm just going to sit here and be quiet right I don't need to to try and cast blame on somebody else to try and make my situation better I just didn't believe in that so that was the first instance and I knew it was happening and you know anybody that's ever been arrested before even if you've watched a good cop show right where they play the good cop bad cop and hey you know, we already know this, you must know that somebody's talking, they make it very clear that somebody on the inside is, is working with them. Well, one of those individuals made a, made a claim that he had information to uh, drug trafficking, links to organized crime, and there was a big case that they were trying to build at the time. And he said, listen, I'll talk to the, the FBI, the ATF, the DEA, and bring them all in. I've got plenty of information. And that got him interested, right? So now there's all this attention, and there's a lot of pressure on us to cooperate, to make this case against other people outside of our case. And I made it very clear, like, I'm, I'm not willing to do that. Even when they came back and said, check this out. We're passing this off to the FBI. They're going to charge you with all of these mandatory minimum sentences. And you're looking at life. And I said, yeah, you know, (laughs) this isn't my first time. This is my first rodeo, right? Like I've been threatened with, you know, major time before. I'm not going for that. But then I went back and I looked in the law books and I said, oh, my God, they can actually do this. Like there is a statute on the books that they can use. And i was like well here we go we're gonna test them we're gonna see where this goes and that's where things got really crazy where uh, the best and i haven't ever really talked too much about this when we were taken into federal custody they put us in a place called fdc philly federal detention center and it's on the corner of i believe 7th and arch where this is right downtown this is my case took place in the surrounding few blocks where this place was being built, like it had just opened up. I used to drive by here every day. I didn't know what it was because it's a nondescript building, literally in downtown Philadelphia with the slit windows, not on the first or second floor, but up higher. So nobody knows Nobody knows what this building is. And here I am on the fifth floor, looking through this slit of a window down onto Arch Street, watching friends of mine buzz by. Now, keep in mind, this is back in 2000. I don't have anybody's number committed to memory, and we didn't have smartphones. We had the old flip phones, cell phones, right? So I don't have any phone numbers, but I'm watching people walk by, and I'm banging on this sliver of a window trying to get people's attention to let them know that I'm in here. But i'm cut off from the world so my whole world is this housing unit where there's roughly 120 people in there it's myself and my two co-defendants the three of us that stayed quiet chose to go to trial and you know we were told repeatedly by the attorneys like don't trust anyone and we didn't we didn't trust anyone in there like we stayed very tight together the three of us but it felt like everyone was trying to get information from us everyone was against us like paranoia deep paranoia and i started to question my own sanity at at times um, because it couldn't possibly be everyone and then we had counselors come into the unit and try and get us in the office and say you know the u.s attorney wants to talk to you guys get on the phone and we're like no, you got nothing to say in my mind, this whole time, what kept me, you know, making the decision not to say anything against anyone else. Like that to me was a matter of integrity. I didn't feel good about the things that I did that landed me there, but I sure wasn't going to put someone else in that situation. And I gave my word to those other two guys that we would go to trial And that, listen, through whatever happens, like till the wheels fall off, I'm here with you, you know, that's it. And things got really, really crazy. So living on this housing unit of 120 guys, there is no place to go. There's two floors. Everybody's in cells. There's a little wreck deck with a basketball hoop the size barely like a free throw lane that's as big as it is you got 120 guys trying to squeeze in and out of there all out there smoking you could still smoke in jail back then and we're all stressing over this thing right and people keep coming up to us trying to talk to us and we're just keeping them at a distance and then this one one guy comes in and he's a guy who owns a tattoo shop who happens to be longtime friends with my co defendant? When my co defendant had previously gotten shot, ended up in the hospital, um, got shot with a 357. That's all. By who? <laughs> uh, by the person he feared most.
0: Who was?
1: His daughter's mother. Shot him with a 357. Shot him with a 357 point point-blank range, hydroshock, tore him up. Um, he's in the hospital, well, basically leaves the hospital, you know, despite doctor's orders, you, you need to stay here. Goes out in the middle of a blizzard, ends up at the tattoo shop with his buddy. Buddy tats him up and, you know, like crazy experience where they just have a whole lot of history together. And this guy comes into the, into the housing unit.
0: The tattoo guy, the tattoo artist?
1: The tattoo artist. Okay. He he owns a shop, but he's also, he, he's a guy that has dope blocks in North Philly, which is way, anybody that knows the area, like way strange. But anyways, he and his wife, and I happen to know his wife, um, and through various means of communication, you know, she's like, he's down there? She's like, uh, I don't I don't know how he ended up down there with you guys but I don't know. And I'm already feeling like something's not right here. And it comes out well basically it we end up confronting him about it. Like listen man, you're not supposed to be here. And we got him in the cell over this like what's the deal? And God basically breaks down and is like, listen, man, I wasn't going to tell them anything about you, but that's why I'm here. That's why they put me here wow. to get information from you guys and come to later find out, you know, as I said, like feeling paranoid is different from finding out that the entire unit was wired for sound that they had the whole place bugged for and-
0: everybody or for your case specifically.
1: I would say for specific cases, but you had to assume that the whole place sure. was wired, right? So they're not just listening to your phone calls. You're not only on video because there's cameras everywhere in this place, but there's also sound. They've got you know the pipe chases that are open. They've got everything wired. So here we are in this unit feeling paranoid, feeling like everybody's out to get us. Now we get confirmation. Everybody really is out to get us. And we're like, damn, it's it's us against the whole world. And I remember feeling that, feeling that weight, like what are we up against here? The federal government has a 98% conviction rate. 98%, right? Like who wins? And how are we possibly going to beat this thing?
0: At this point, did you trust your two co-defendants that you were with, or did you think maybe they were talking too? Like, was it literally every man for himself or did you at least feel like you had allies there
1: no no i i I felt like it was the three of us against the world like that was it um and and there was other things like they came in they tortured us like they would bring the dogs in they'd wake us up in the middle of the night throw us out on the wreck deck make us stay out there all of this is happening right well here's here's the the confirmation here's when confirmation arrived because we're going through a pre-trial suppression hearing And at this hearing, the prosecutors, it's basically, it's over an illegal identification procedure. The judge is getting ready to throw out all the illegal ID testimony in our case, which would have basically crushed the government's case. And the government's like, there's no, you can't do this. It's not possible. And they're like, listen, like, We're not going to have a hearing right here. There's far too many people that we intend to call to bring into court. This will take up too much of the court's time. Like you can't do it right now. Basically just trying to save their case. And the judge is like, well, check this out. Here's my compromise. Normally, and this is a side note, normally in federal court, like when you're going to trial, you don't normally get a witness list. You get what's called discovery, which means they show up with boxes and they're like, Here's everything. Go ahead and figure it out. So you have to prepare for anything and any person that they might bring in.
0: Here's everything as far as here's everything that we've gathered from people we've interviewed.
1: Here's here's all discovery materials. Yeah, it could be anything and everything. For instance, one of those things that they gave to break our spirit. They came by one day at four o'clock count, right? they come by there's a knock on the door bang 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 cuff up in order for them to open the door you have to cuff up right so they make us cuff up and i'm like man what now everybody else in the block is locked in they come by and they they got a couple boxes so they put us to the back of the cell they come in they drop these boxes they come back out they uncuff us i'm like what the hell is this so we open up these boxes and it's all paperwork And anybody who knows what 302s are, 302s are notes from government interviews, from FBI interviews. These are boxes of 302s. You wanna talk about the most demoralizing, like I sat on the floor uh, of the cell reading through these, like just crushed.
0: And so it could, and I'm not saying this is who it is, but just for clarification, like it could be best friends, girlfriends, wives, mothers, fathers. That's who it was. Wow.
1: That's who it was. Who
0: were saying these awful it was, things about
1: you. It was people who didn't have anything to do with the case that the FBI had gone to, simply to pressure. Basically, like, tell us anything you can about this person. Anything bad that you could possibly come up with. And, and you know, they didn't do this nicely. They weren't like, hey, can we come in and have, you know, a sure. cup of coffee and talk to you? No. Like, they, they were they were... Uh, I know that they threatened other people with charges that, listen, if you're ignorant of the law, you're going to fall victim to that. You're like, oh my God, that's the FBI. If they're saying they can do this, they can do it. It wasn't true, right? So they threatened people with some charges, some different things. These people made statements that were not really material to anything. They were just meant to break our spirit. And I sat there on the floor, vividly recall, I'm reading a few of these and I saved a few. I saved a few. Um, And it took me a long time to to reconcile that, right? And kind of, I I guess I came to the conclusion like, well, these people aren't involved in any of these things I'm involved in. So I can't expect them to respond or act the same way that I would because I would never say anything bad against them. But anyways, I digress. So going through all this, that was one of the, the tactics, right? So I already know that they're willing to do anything. Well, we go into the, we're in the courtroom and the judge says, okay, prosecutor, you're trying to get, save this case. Here's what I'm asking from you. I'm gonna take a 15 minute recess. When I come back, you're gonna give me the list of all the individuals that you intend to call during this case and anybody not on that list, I'm not gonna allow you to uh, introduce them at trial. That's my agreement. And then I'll make the determination whether or not we go ahead with a pretrial hearing or if I can manage those during the trial, because that's what the judge was leaning toward. The judge wasn't trying to throw out the prosecution's case either, right? So he's like, here's a happy compromise. So they go out and they're like, oh my God, we got to produce this. We're excited. We're like, man, we're going to get to see all the people that, you know, that are actually supposed to testify. Well, they come back in 15 minutes later and I got my little pen and I'm writing and my attorney's like, ah, don't worry about it. We'll get a transcript. I'm like, get a transcript. I was like, when is that going to happen? You know, that might take weeks. I was like, I need these names now. So I'm sitting there and I'm writing them down and I've already been through all this other discovery, the grand jury testimony and all this madness. And I get to this block of names and I'm writing them down and I'm like, how do I know these? Like a couple of these names stand out. And my co-defendant's down the other end going, hey, hey, I told you that guy was no fucking good. And I'm like, "Ah, oh, I know who he's talking about. He's talking about the guy back on the housing unit. And I'm like, wait a minute. These are all people from our housing unit. I'm like, oh, my God. Like how many? How is this legal? A lot. That's crazy. I don't know. Let's say there was 20 people. What? It was a whole section of people
0: that are saying things that they think that they're making up about your case. (laughs) I know these answers. I'm just trying to clarify for people that
1: don't understand. Wow. There are people that are on the housing unit. And this is the problem with our criminal justice system is that the system is constructed to incentivize people to make up, to make up, fabricate information against other people to get some sort of, Personal benefit to reduce their time. And it happens all the time. Nobody wants to acknowledge this because it's just like, it's the price of doing business in the criminal justice system. But everybody knows that it's happening, which is why we're like, it's all plea deals, right? Nobody wants to confront this. So when you only have a handful of cases that are actually going to trial, can you imagine the attention that those get? That's where we were. We were under that spotlight. They had all these resources, including the human resources, you know, the walking cameras, as people like to call them, those with two eyes who are recording everything, trying to, you know, provide information to the government. So we end up, we come back across, well, ultimately the judge says, you know what? Okay, I've got the list. I'm going to manage this through trial. We're not going to do this right here, right now. So, um, you guys are headed back. We're going to go ahead. We're going to proceed to trial and we're like, ah, damn. All right. So we go back to the holding cages. Now keep in mind the holding cages below the prison that are literally underground because the courthouse is across the street. These holding pens are packed now. Well, let me say this. Most of them are, are large cells, open cells, where you could fit quite a, quite a good number of people. And then there's one small cell where they have myself and my co-defendants along with one other group that's going to trial. And they started out, there was probably like 15 of them. It was a big dope case, same thing out of North Philly. And honestly, day by day, because they were going to trial, we were still in pre-trial They were like losing a person each day. It was getting smaller and smaller and smaller because, because they were taking deals, agreeing to cooperate and just giving up. So they've got all of us crammed in this little ass cell while all the rest, everybody else out here who's cooperating is free to move. You know, like they're in these bigger cells. They've got plenty of room, but that's what it is right like that's the the numbers the numbers are just staggering so anyways we sit down in this cell and they tell us they're like well you guys are going to be down here for a while we're going to make some moves we haven't figured out how we're going to do this yet because when they released all those names they couldn't put us back on the block with them so they had to figure out okay how are we going to manage this are we going to move them are we going to keep these guys together Keep in mind, the block is wired for sound. They've already got us in the place where they want us. So they went ahead and they moved those 20 or so people to all these different housing units, split them up. So we get back and all these moves have been made, but it's like one o'clock in the morning. And obviously all of that is just confirmation. And we're like, man, this is nuts. Like, and, and those are things that would cause most people like those guys going to trial that we're dropping one by one, most people, honestly, are going to give up. They're going to say, you know what? Like, man, this fight is not worth it. There's no way that we can possibly win. But at that point, it wasn't even about winning. Like, it's about holding on to hope, yes. But it's about, man, keeping your integrity, like just maintaining that level of integrity. And there was something just in me that I wasn't willing to compromise. Right, and that's what I held on to, and that's my other two co-defendants as well. So here's the kicker, like here's where things, you know, <laughs> get really interesting, because we go to trial, and the day that we lost trial, when the jury came back, I already knew like my sentencing hearing wouldn't be for a couple months, but the day that my jury came back, because of the mandatory minimums, I knew that I had a life sentence that exceeded two hundred years. I knew that as soon as the jury read the verdict, you know, when they got to count number six, I'm like, well, that's pretty much life. By the time they got to nine, I was like, "Mm, definitely can't survive that sentence. So, and then I had to listen to the rest and I was just numb at that point. Right. And you know what they did? They came back almost gleefully. Who? The U S attorneys. Okay. They came back. It was actually our counselor on the unit who, who came. He's like, Clawson. Let me me talk to you. Come here. He's like, the U.S. Attorney's Office wants to talk to you. Can you get on the phone? Now, this is not how it's supposed to operate, but it does. And I'm like, listen, man, I got nothing to say. He's like, dude, like you're going to get a life sentence. You don't want to talk to him? I was like, I got nothing to say. I got nothing to say. Now, there's a lot of people out there, right? I I hear all these gangsters out there talking, talking crazy about, you know, what they've done, what, what they would do, but listen, when it's literally your life on the line in that situation, there are very few people who are going to hold on to their values. They compromise. That's just a reality, right? So me being in that situation, knowing that about myself gave me a different sense of resolve like a different level of confidence. And if anything, I mean, you know, my resolve is not only my greatest gift, but it's also my greatest weakness because sometimes I don't bend when I should. But this was one of those situations where, listen, I wasn't willing to bend no matter what. So I end up, I go ahead and I get sentenced. After I get sentenced, they're like, okay, now what? They come again. They come again and they're like, listen, you have 213 years. You can, st- you can oh, still get a rule 35A.
0: Okay. I was going to say, what could they do for you at this point? Okay.
1: It's called a rule 35A. Think about it. Think about it. Cause you could still, you could still get your life back. You could still have a life. Now keep in mind, the guys who did cooperate on our case didn't do much time. They got out, they got out pretty quickly. But they were also in the witness protection program. Got new names. I think both of them did. I know one of them did. And I know one of them ended up catching a new case and he's serving a life sentence now. Um, But that's a whole nother, I mean, I don't even need to go down that road. It's just ironic that the person who got the least amount of time and that's what the government rewarded, right, this cooperation, ends up Committing a whole string of other just all sorts of crazy crimes that land him in prison for life, right? And I had to fight for over 20 years to get a second chance to do, man, all sorts of things that had never been done before to prove myself again and again and again. And by all means, like I'm not supposed to be here. I'm not. So many things had to line up for me to be here. So that was the the second part with that 35 a making that decision i was like listen i've told you repeatedly i got nothing to say
0: so just to clarify 35a is when you become a jailhouse informant
1: basically i mean there's different ways it's only for one year post sentence from the day that your sentence is imposed really yes okay yep yeah there's there's
0: well my my wheels are spinning about somebody that an attorney friend and I speculated it, but it's a story for a different time.
1: Listen, they make all sorts of crazy it's it's amazing how the system can work when those people in positions of power have something that they want. Um, i listen, I've watched them walk people out of prison who had information who came to him years later and said, listen, I have information on, I know where this body is. I know that it's in this barrel. It's burned to a crisp, but you can still identify it by DNA. And I'll tell you exactly where it is. They walked him out of prison. Like, and, and everybody knows about this, but we're getting off onto something else. So as far as I'm concerned, like these were my decisions. I chose to live that way. So by the time that I got to the USP, like, first of all, People already knew who I was. My reputation preceded me, knew the decisions that I had made that ultimately landed me there, right? So there's a a level of respect, but there's also an expectation that comes along with this. Like if, if you're a good guy and you're a person of your word, like, man, you're a stand up guy. Like there's things that come along with that. And in that environment, there are very swift consequences for people that violate that. And the reason being is because you live in a fishbowl, right? You can't make a commitment to somebody and then duck them. You can't go to the other side of town. You can't move out of town. Like you're going to see that person and you're going to see them sooner rather than later. And you're going to have to answer. And if that person isn't satisfied with that answer, it's going to be dealt with right then and there. And there is a certain... Uh, attractiveness to that sort of resolution, that immediate resolution, because it causes people to to act with greater integrity, right? It it serves as an incentive for people to act right, and if anything, I'm gonna say that's one of the things of prison that I miss. Because I watched people who were stone cold dope fiends, right? But damn, they kept their word. If, if they went to the Loan Shark and they borrowed, you know, five bucks and said, man, I got it free on Monday, they had it on Monday. Like, <laughs> but you, not
0: everybody and not always.
1: Not everybody, not always, but the majority of the time. And when they didn't, I mean, they, they were got, made an example. They of. got dealt with. Like that's what happened. And you knew you knew those consequences were there. So for me, like that wasn't any deviation from how I was already living. That was an aspect of of life maybe that I appreciated, right? Because that also uh, inspires a certain level of respect. People always talk about respect. Respect and integrity kind of go hand in hand. Sure, right? like if you have a level of integrity, you are going to act with respect as well. And you see much more of that. Now, when you come down into lower security environments, where many more people have cooperated, they've acted with, say, less integrity, man, the whole social dynamic changes. It's very different. So I had to live in that environment with a little less integrity around me for the second 10 years, and it was a challenge, but I always knew that I could hold on to mine no matter what. Like, I was going to keep my word, and I was going to make sure that others kept their word too, or you weren't going to be around me. Like, I was very clear on what my expectations were for the people around me, and everybody respected that. Right. And that's why, you know, I would have difficult conversations with people and and tell them like it was like, I didn't want to do that, but I felt like that's what needed to be done. So fast forward to 2020, when that petition was finally filed for me for compassionate release, when it was initially filed get a phone call. Now we've waited years, right? This was past 2018, actually opened the door. We've talked about my attorney, Sean, creating a record with all these courts, all these motions. We even used my case as an example, put it out there for everybody to file these motions and literally thousands of people got relief. And here we are sitting there waiting and it's like, okay, when's our time? Like, I, I I just, please let me have my day. Like, let me be heard. And it it took a long time for us to get to that. We finally decide, Sean decides like, okay, we're gonna file. And we're like, yes, all right, like forward. Like now we're moving forward. And I remember vividly, I, I come out and I look at the email. I have an email from Sean. He says, I need you to call me. And it was the manner in which he said it I just knew, I knew it was something. And to be honest, I, I had a feeling. Did you? I did. I had a feeling, I'm like, listen, there's no reason. And he didn't say anything, like. Like he couldn't put it in writing. It, it can't, it can't be this. There's no way that the government can be responding, coming back, trying to shoot something through him at me. It's not possible. It's been 20 plus years. Like, please don't let this be the case. So I go over, I pick up the phone. I remember I was like, I was kind of nervous. I'm like, God, I hope it's not this. And I get him on the phone. He's like, hey, you got my email. I said, yeah. He said, well, I I talked to Bob Zausmer. That's the U.S. attorney. And I'm like, yeah. He said, listen, the only way the U.S. attorney is going to go along with this is if you agree to cooperate. And I about snatched the phone off the wall. I was like, this is 20 plus years later. There is absolutely, I've already thought this through. Like, There is no possible reason. They know everything I've done. They have my record in front of them. They know what I'm about. They know that I've cut all ties to anybody negative. They know how closely I guard my inner circle and everything that I've sought to promote that's positive. And you want me to cooperate. Like, you know, I don't have any information that's relevant to what you're working on. You just want me to tap out. You just want me to jeopardize my credibility, everything that I've worked for, that integrity at this last, at this finish line, knowing that my wife and I are my family. Like, we just want to move on with life. Like, that's all I want is this second chance. And you're going to dangle that? And yeah, I was, I was mad. And I remember I was like, wow, I haven't been this angry. in I I don't, years, years, I hadn't allowed myself to, to feel that kind of anger. And I said, damn, man. And I, obviously (laughs) my response just for clarity was Sean, absolutely not. You know, this, I was like, how could you even bring this to me? He goes, listen, I know he goes, but as your attorney, I'm obligated he goes, I know your response.
0: And I think we need to add this too, Mm -hmm. because he said in that conversation, like it's totally up to you and I'm not going to judge you either way. And I think something we neglected to say at the beginning of this episode is that there are so many people that do take pleas and the way the system is set up now with the whole trial penalty and all that stuff, we're not judging you. If you took a plea, if your loved one took a plea, if you're thinking about taking a plea. That's not what this is about. This is about integrity and Adam's integrity. So please don't feel, I mean, if you're still here listening to this, if you are one of those people that I just listed, thank you. But please don't feel like we're judging you. Like we're not into that whole snitches get stitches and all of that situation. This is just you telling your
1: story. This is me telling my story. This is me um, speaking about my integrity, where it stems from. And cause often I feel like I still need to qualify myself.
0: Yeah. I just wanted to clarify that for people because you had a lot of friends inside, very, very close friends who took pleas, right?
1: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Listen, I mean, please are not to be confused with cooperation.
0: Oh, okay. So what's the difference?
1: There there can be non-cooperating please, a little bit harder to get. Obviously the time is not gonna, you're not gonna get the same reductions. But I will say the majority of people who are in prison under pleas have cooperated on some level. And let me just add, I'm not judging you at this point, like whatever you felt that you had to do, because there are people who are going to say, listen, my family, if I didn't ever think I was going to get out, I'm like, great. That's your decision, right? What I'm telling you is like my level of integrity is when I make a commitment And I stand on certain things like I am going to stand on them, period. That's where my integrity stems from. And not wavering when things get difficult. If I say I'm going to do something, I'm going to follow through. Having literally your life on the line, not once, not twice, not three times. It's been held out there and dangled in front of me numerous times. And every time I've made the same difficult decision, And I'm not saying it wasn't difficult. Like in my mind, it's immediate. Like I am definitely not doing this, but at the same time, I have such a deep sense of remorse, how badly I feel. I'm like my family is still suffering with me through this. Like they understand this decision, support this decision, but damn, like, me doing time on the inside is one thing. They're suffering far more on the outside. That was the most difficult, frustrating, infuriating part of that. I'm like, you're going to put my family through more because you know that I'm not going to do this. Or you're just trying to, you know, take my credibility from me. So even right there at the door after 20 plus years, like I, I was unwavering in that. And you were unwavering in your support. Of course. You say of course, but listen. That's, yeah, I that's mean. A, that's a heavy lift. There are not many people who are willing to do that. And the whole reason we're having this conversation right now is because I'm so goddamn frustrated with people making commitments or talking crazy about how they're a person of their word and, and they're good for this. And then not following through like, and to me, that means something. And I, and I'm really frustrated about it right now. Like you can't question my integrity at this point. Like I have proven it and, but don't think I'm going to let you get away with it. We had someone in particular had an investor that called made a commitment. He said, man, I'm all in with you guys. I
0: heard, I was there, I heard it, it was on speaker. Those were the exact words.
1: He said, I'm all in. We are all in. This is something we had waited. It had been in the works for a year. This person had been in for a shorter period of time. It was a lot riding on it. I went ahead and then gave my word to other people because of that commitment. And it made me look bad. And that's why I have an issue with that. That's why I have an issue with people not keeping their word, not being persons of integrity. But yet, I look at social media and, goddamn, you know, like they're singing to the choir and, you know, purporting themselves to be this person. That's not true. And that's where I take issue. I take issue with those people, the ones who are claiming to be something else, and then they're not. Well then, you need to get off social media. Because, <laughs> I, I mean, know there's there's a lot of that, right? There's definitely a lot of that. that was yeah. Twenty years later, yeah. I appreciate your note. So, those are, are kind of the uh, the foundations of integrity, right? So, to make sure that we're on a positive note here right? Kind of transitioning from, that was a lot of negative. And I, I don't like to be negative focused or negative driven, but man, we've had a lot of challenging experiences that we had to go through to get to where we are. And then we had a lot of bad experiences with people since we made it out here. And there've been a lot of disappointments and I, and I'm open about saying that, right? For as many good experiences we've had, we've had just as many negative. And one of the things that we were um, adamant about when we were on the inside, sitting in that visiting room, talking about the life that we envisioned for ourselves was about being very intentional, who we allowed into that circle, right? And I think maybe, and this is totally my fault on the people that I chose to allow into our circle that were not good choices. Weren't those people of integrity and when they acted a certain way, not addressing it, right? Allowing them to, to remain there, to still support them. And ultimately it's, it's burned us. It's burned us a number of times. So moving forward, and this is the positive part, right? we have been recently rewarded a number of times by choosing to align ourselves with different people who have that level of integrity, right? And because of that, you know, different things have have developed for us, different opportunities, but the conversations, um, you know, that we have with those people that are completely transparent, that are willing to express... And open up uh, is because of the integrity that we have. And I think that, you know, just being more intentional going forward, focusing on those relationships, uh, I feel confident that we're gonna see a whole lot more definitely um, more of our vision, all of the things that we wanted for our life together on this side. I know that we're gonna see a lot more of that come to fruition. And man, you know, it's been, Two and a half years. And it feels like parts of it have gone quick. Parts have not. You know, um, where I'm always critical of where we are and feeling like I want to be further along. Um, And I think I lost sight of that. I lost sight of, you know, we talked about being in that position to where when people didn't... Uh, express that level of integrity. We allowed it, allowed those people to stay close and we shouldn't have.
0: We shouldn't have, but live and learn, right? And I think in more recent weeks, months, you've been a lot more swift at getting, at, at severing relationships that are starting to show those signs or that are blatantly showing those signs versus keeping those people around and in your defense, you have incredible integrity, but you choose to see the best in people where sometimes it's kind of (laughs) obvious that that person doesn't have the best intentions. You give them five, six, seven, eight chances, probably because of the chances you've been given in your life. And especially the closer the person is to you. So I think that in a few of these instances, you just kept seeing the good in that person, those people, and you were letting them slide because you because of that because you saw the good in them
1: Without a doubt Without a doubt but it was interesting to see you get so heated just before we got in the car to come here
0: Well every once in a while the jersey and the Italian come out
1: Ooh and and I listen I appreciate it I I appreciate you getting excited about it because Well go ahead No you go ahead No Explain no finish it. your thought I was just going to say like I was Partly I was shocked. I was like, God damn, 30 minutes we're listening to her sit here and lie, lie to us over and over again, but to watch you get, like you were in full defense mode, like you were ready to pounce.
0: I mean, because we have literal facts on paper in front of us. And I'm listening to these blatant lies. And I'm listening to, you know, like the tactics to stall and get some more time so I can think of another lie. And there was one thing, and I can't remember what it was, and I wouldn't say it anyway, that was said. And I was like, if she goes any further, I'm not gonna be able to keep my mouth shut. Because it's getting to the point where it's absolutely ridiculous. Ridiculous. And the one of the reasons I didn't is because it's a legal issue. But at the same time, like I'm watching you swallow this and I know your integrity and I know you're being lied to over and over for not only 30 minutes, but for a year, it's going to be really difficult for me to keep my mouth shut. Mm. If I, you want the pit bull, just keep asking questions.
1: I appreciate you. <laughs> oh God. Yeah. See, and that's why this works, right? Like just amazing. And to point this out too, there is a difference. Um, because that same person said something to me about you should have had my back. That's what, that's what partners do about a lie about a lie. Right. And I said, my response was absolutely not. I will never back you when you're wrong. And you never have to worry about me putting you in that situation. I will never do that. That's what you can count on. Like anyone that I am friends with, anyone that I am business partners with, anyone that I deal with, you can expect that from me because that's my integrity, right? So when people say that, you know, it's interesting to hear people say, well, damn, you should have had my back. No, you were you were wrong.
0: I don't think anyone... Knowing you, as long as I've known you, should ever or would ever have to say, well, damn, you should have had my back because you were always the first person there to have somebody's back, whether it be they need a ride across town, whether it be something way more dramatic like a business situation this and that you go above and beyond for everybody things that I'm like damn I wouldn't have done that like I wouldn't have gotten out of bed in the middle of the night to go pick somebody up or drive this one to the airport or this or that and I consider myself a really nice person so nobody should ever have to say that unless they're being manipulative
1: Hmm. did I say that I appreciate you
0: (laughs) you could say as many times as you want
1: well and listen and this is why on you know bigger picture our relationship why it works the way that it works is because we are so transparent with one another because we've never lied to each other there's never been a need to so and i i'm never gonna ask you to have my back on some bs so we don't ever have to worry about any of those things and i will tell you what like life is so much easier because Full disclosure, I was not always this way. Like, I was the exact opposite in my youth prior to going to prison, and I can tell you all of, you know, the wrong ways about doing things and, and, you know what I mean, not following through. And it was ultimately, you know, that one decision that changed the trajectory of my life that was, it, it was a pivotal decision that has made me who I am today and proud of who I am, where I wasn't previously. So yeah, integrity, that's what it's all about. And I I don't know where else we were going to go with this thing today, but I think we covered a lot of ground.
0: We did. And before we end, I just want to add one thing. Yes, I think we need a curse jar because you dropped three curses in one episode, and Did I was I really? so excited. It was, excited. For, it, was I'm it was amazing.
1: <laughs> you want to hear the? Here's the crazy thing: we might need a curse jar because I've noticed that you know I've I've definitely uh, been much more loose in recent months, where I went for ten years in prison and I didn't curse, except I could count. on on the hand one time. And I did it one time when I had all of the guys who were part of the community that we had built on the inside, when when things had gone a little bit left, and it was a matter of one of those matters of integrity. And I called a little meeting, and like when they heard me let loose, they were like, wow, like where did that come from? Like they never heard me drop an F-bomb. And so it had impact right like it actually mattered they were like oh damn he's like this is serious um and so i need to kind of tighten that up a little bit um because we have a little one who's listening
0: and repeating
1: and repeating so yeah i need i need to tighten that up you it need, doesn't you in to,
0: all respect you used it in the context of what somebody else he did was saying
1: he did okay. you okay. did Fair and
0: much. i think you can curse on the podcast just we should probably myself included, cartel in front of the baby, but totally different episode.
1: That's for another episode. But uh, I think we're wrapping things up for today. It's been another incredible episode. Appreciate everyone for tuning in on Gritability, a podcast about the power of perseverance, overcoming seemingly insurmountable odds to attain the life of your dreams. I'm your podcast host, Adam Clausen.
0: And I'm Roe Clausen.
1: We'll see you back here on the next episode.
0: Today changes my whole entire life.